Hello and welcome to a very, very, very special episode of Normandy FM. Today, Kenneth Shepard, my co-host, and myself, Eric Van Allen, are joined by one very special guest, Natalie Flores, <laughs> freelance writer, Mass Effect expert, online poster of things. And very big lover of Turians, yes. Nice. Known, oh. known Turian fanatic. <laughs> Known Turian enthusiast. Hi, thank you uh, in advance to your listeners for putting up with my sick person voice. I'll try to uh, mitigate the sickness th- sounds as much as possible. I think we're all sick because I want to say I mentioned this last week, but I'm pretty much on Sudafed. Um, it's freezing down here. Texas has turned into Hoth or like <laughs> the, I don't know, the thing from that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where they're running from the wolves on the ice and all that. Like it's basically that yeah. down here. I ran from wolves to get in with my Taco Bell. So, uh- <laughs> oh my God. yeah, that's what walking across campus here in Georgia felt like, honestly, but I'm from Miami. So my, my thresholds and like my tolerance for the cold isn't very reliable. Mm-hmm. Well, the it's cold not... never bothered me anyway, so. Oh, it never gets cold, in the words <laughs> of Cardi B. <laughs> Natalie, tell us about yourself. Uh, you're a freelance writer. Uh, you write a couple sites, including RPG site, uh, Paste Into the Spine. Uh, but tell us about you and, and how you kind of got into Mass Effect. Yeah, so I got into Mass Effect in my junior year of high school. Um, I remember that being a really rough time for me because I had actually just... Uh, I left this group of friends that I had been with for several years because they just weren't a healthy environment for me, and I had just gotten Mass Effect. So I decided to play it while being really depressed at home and being like super lonely and without friends in high school, and I grew so attached so fast to these characters because in a really cheesy way, like they felt like the actual friends that I didn't have in that moment, and that then led me to befriending my one of my best friends that I like hung, hang out with every night and um she's like everything to me and we bonded over Mass mm. Effect and Dragon Age and how amazing these characters are um so I've ever since my junior year of high school I've been crying over Mass Effect and how much I miss Garrus yes that's a mood <laughs> that's a mood oh god it really does feel like Bioware games in particular have this ability to create not just like emotional stories you know we talk all the time about how emotional these big moments uh, especially in at the end of the trilogy are but this sense of camaraderie between yourself and the crew the way that you can interact with them kind of steer the relationship with them and develop their their stories over time it, it it's really cool to hear that there were actual like you know anecdotes and real life stories about how that can like change someone's life so that's like really awesome oh, absolutely <laughs> I and i remember that. like mass effect 3 is still the game that has made me cry the most kingdom hearts 3 was pretty brutal i was like 
pathetically whining <laughs> alone in my living room a few weeks ago. But Mass Effect 3 was so bad that I I played just the last mission um, on the last day, and I had been crying on and off the rest of the day. I spent the rest of the day, like, on the wiki, researching, like, you know, like watching and reading reviews, all that stuff that a lot of us tend to do once we finish something that really resonates with us. And then I wake up the next morning and I go to say good morning to my mom. And the first thing she says, like, she's usually like, oh, good morning, my love. Like, she did not say anything. She just looked at me. She's like, wow, you look like shit. I was like, yeah. I was like, um, yes, yes, I do. She's like, what happened? And I'm like, I finished a video game. She's like, oh, my God. It's not the first time she heard that. What? So she just, like, ignored me. And then I showed her Garrus, and she thinks he's the ugliest thing ever, but that's wow. okay. She she respects my love for him. She, she doesn't understand <laughs> it, mm-hmm. but she respects it on some level. Ken always gets mad at me because I never cry, and I've seen Ken cry so many times, so oh often, at so many random... I want to say the first time we met in person, within 24 hours, I saw Ken cry. <laughs> yep. I'm not. I'm not kidding. That's so cute. That it was. So it was cute. Vegas for the, for PSX, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they showed the un. It was the Uncharted trailer, mm-hmm. and you immediately oh like grabbed my arm and were sobbing. And I was like, that that was Ken. If you ever wondered, that was the moment where I knew like we're going to get along pretty well. Nice. That's so pure. Oh my oh. gosh. That was a fun My trip, heart. even yeah. though Ken was sick for most of it. I was. <laughs> he was sick physically, emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you were just, My body was just you a were wreck. his anchor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a taxing weekend for him. But luckily, <laughs> we made it to many other trips and many other friend moments. Uh, and lots of more crying since. sessions yeah. uh-huh. that he has survived. <laughs> have I ever told you what games I have cried during, Ken? Uh, I thought it was a blank yeah. list. Oh no no! I just I made that up to sound tough on the podcast. <laughs> there are there are, I would say one and a half games that I. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, uh, Undertale mm. is when I uh, actually did full on cry, and then like a half cry slash depression feeling uh, during the end of uh, Beginner's Guide. I don't I know if you've ever that, played that. I, I, can't, mm-hmm. I have not. There's there's a. The whole thing is basically about like authorship and um, becoming obsessed with somebody's work and then like measuring yourself to that standard. And the end of it is very, very emotional. And it's 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 good. It's very worth playing if you ever have the, the time and you're on like, I think it's only on Steam. It might be on consoles now. I'm not sure on that. Don't quote Ooh. me on that. But it's very good. I loved it when it came out. Um, it sounds like a big mood, so it is I'm a, scared of playing it. I'll probably cry. I'm a super crybaby, super big crybaby, so we'll see. But the games we are here to talk about, actually, not to get sidetracked, <laughs> is, uh, is Mass Effect 2, uh, which is a game that almost made me cry, but uh, there's a specific reason we have Natalie on, and, and this is a little fun peek behind the scenes for, for our listeners at home. Uh when we reached out to the guests that we were going to have for the season, uh, we asked all of them specifically which characters they wanted to talk about because our goals were we were going to kind of set up the season. Ken and I would guide everybody through the the main missions. But then once we got to loyalty missions, which are a little bit more personal, they're segmented, they're bespoke, whatever you want to call them, they have a little bit more room for kind of freewheeling discussion and not necessarily structured discussion uh that was where we wanted to bring in guests and have them talk about their personal experiences because it also lets us get perspectives that we don't have 
on this podcast um and when we reached out to natalie uh i believe you mentioned both miranda and garris specifically like those yeah, were just up like front. immediately yeah <laughs> just immediately <laughs> and those we were like that's easy we can make that happen that's perfect so, but i want to know now that we have you on the podcast now that we have audio proof uh <laughs> why miranda and garris uh and and you can start with miranda if you want to softball it in uh before you get to the the one and only turian love oh my gosh okay so i don't know which one is harder to talk about because um miranda she's so my favorite female character and video game character slash character ever period is Yennefer from The Witcher 3 oh, yeah. uh, but Miranda is right behind her and I feel like that I have a type of favorite female character which is like the woman who is considered a bitch by the majority of people who play their games but they're actually a lot warmer than they seem on the outside like on the outside Miranda and Yennefer very much seem like ice queens mm-hmm. and they're very ambitious they're very um you know, like they see what they want and they go after it and they don't have any qualms about it. Um, and they're both very hardworking and very much aware of their worth. But at the same time, they're also uh, very vulnerable and actually warmer than people tend to give them credit for. So I have a lot of strong feelings about Miranda because I feel like people are so quick, like in fan fictions that I read, which <laughs> I read so many, Garris <laughs> and Shepard fan fictions. We're not going to talk about that. Um but in so many of them, she's portrayed as this really nagging and cold woman who is really hard to approach when I actually think she is quite possibly the warmest character in the entire cast. And I feel like I have pretty good reasons for that argument that we will eventually get into. Um, so I really love Miranda. She's very special to me. I wrote my first college entrance, ex- uh, not exam, my first college entrance essay on her. No shit. Um, wow. I did. It got accepted, but I didn't end up going to that school. Oh. But it, I just felt <laughs> proud of being able to write about Miranda and just like people being receptive to that and mm-hmm. I guess my love and appreciation for her and what she represents not just as a woman in a video game but just as a woman in a society like we live in a society <laughs> um it's uh it was really validating and really nice even though I chose not to go to the school in the end and totally pursued a different path hey this is the podcast of people who have pursued different paths. <laughs> we go down all kinds of... We have the green ending, we have the blue ending, <laughs> we have the red ending, we, even we ta- have the three paths. We haven't talked yet about what endings we, we even picked. I figured we would have done that at the beginning, but I guess we're probably saving that, that card for, for the much later. For the actual Mass Effect 3 EA. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I shot the, the catalyst. I just... <laughs> I was like, oh, screw yeah. this kid. Red ending. Like, I was like... I've embarked on this journey for the past three games to destroy the Reapers. I'm going to destroy the Reapers. Suck it. Like, Fair point. Nothing else. Uh, so and now do I talk about Gareth? Let's, uh, we'll save that because we'll, we'll talk okay. about that before we get into the actual loyalty <laughs> mission. But let's, let's talk a little bit about Miranda because I do feel that uh, for Ken and I especially, we talked a lot about her when she first joined and a little bit uh, recently because we did the the Jack loyalty mission. It's kind of hard to talk about Jack in Mass Effect 2 without talking about Miranda because they're kind of the foils to each other on the, the Normandy. You know, Jack is all, oh, cheerleader, <laughs> and, and Miranda's yeah. all like, oh, you don't like me. That's 
mean. <laughs> yeah, shout out to all the the queer fans who look at their dynamic and are like, yeah, they totally would get together. Mm-hmm. Like, Sexual tension. They're perfect together. Right? Shout out to them. I'm just saying, you don't call someone the cheerleader that often and not, like, develop that tension. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, but... So the setup with with Miranda's loyalty mission, uh, and, and this actually like plays into what you were just talking about. I think is that um, hers is is surprisingly personal, and that she's kind of telling you like, "Hey, I've got this dad out there that I've been talking to you about, who's he's been genetically engineering me and my sister, and uh, I need to get my sister out of there because now he knows where she is, and that's not safe." And and you kind of get the sense that I. As an older brother myself, I really appreciated this part because there definitely is that, like, protective instinct to be like, I need to protect them and also make sure that they don't know how much I'm doing to protect them, Mm. to keep them ignorant of how much is going on. Um, So we get this whole setup, and I'm going to call it out here because can you have it in your notes as well? Um, They really don't do a job of, like obfuscating the fact that Niket is going to betray you in this mission. It really feels like straight up, she's like, don't worry, I only told Niket. Don't worry, he's totally trustworthy. He's the only person I've told. The only reason why any of this could go wrong. There's one single reason, and <laughs> it can't possibly be Niket. Don't worry. So, like, uh, maybe Miranda's a little bit gullible. <laughs> um, I, I definitely think so. I think, I think she's someone who's very... Um, level-headed and she is able to look at problems that have to do with other people in a logical sense that helps her rationalize things and be the effective problem solver that she is but I I think that's where part of her vulnerability and her insecurity and just her flaws as a person lie and how she's unable to when it comes to her she she's a bit naive like Mm. As, you know, the type of person that she is, she's, despite it all, she is naive in the sense that she believes the best in people because she has so few people around her that she considers to be people that actually really know her. And I think she really clings on to that even until the end. And I think that how obvious it is that it's Niket is intentional to convey that, to convey that it's really obvious to anyone else, but... She just so desperately wants to cling to the goodness and the people around her that she doesn't see even when things are really obvious. It's like she's so sure of the things that she knows that she's got this blind spot that even she doesn't yeah, realize. Yeah. Uh, you do also note it here, Ken, and I feel like it's also hard to talk about really any female character in Mass Effect 2 without talking about the weird, weird ways that they framed some of the shots in these games because... Some of the times when I walked in for a dialogue with Miranda, I'd be like, hey, time to remind you that Miranda's hot. <laughs> there's there's one actually, uh, I was thinking about it because um, over at Giant Bomb, they're doing their playthrough of Mass Effect 2. And I was watching the episode that they put out most recently, and it was the Kasumi loyalty mission. And there's a shot where if you're playing female Shepard and you're on the ship on the way there and you've got the the fancy dress on for the cocktail party where it's just oh, like God. it just frames up her chest like right there <laughs> and it's absolutely here's a reminder that this character is hot um yeah mass effect really loved its butt shots it really did like like i mean as a bi person thanks but also <laughs> as a woman we could do without them i think it also well, is, like with miranda specifically it just feels really disrespectful of the character that they're writing because mm-hmm. so much of the stuff yes. that she talked about sure. she's like insecure about the 
like she didn't outwardly say it all the time, but she's, like, she's clearly insecure about the way that like she was engineered to be a certain way, and she feels like that is the thing that people value about her. And yet, like so, you've got this this sort of subversive story that they're trying to be like, oh no, she's more than she's been engineered to be, and yet they frame her like in these intimate conversations that are about like really personal stuff. Oh, there's her ass. There it is. <laughs> yeah, video games. Am I right? Yeah. This this might sound like a cheap analogy so bear with me for a second but have you all seen the movie who framed roger rabbit uh it's been a minute I... no i haven't okay but well do tell the the whole setup is that uh this fake cartoon character uh roger rabbit uh has been framed for the murder of uh the head of a cartoon studio and it's it's set up kind of like any no- noir movie a uh, lot of like oh backroom dealing hard-boiled detectives that sort of thing but his wife is an extremely attractive cartoon um and she has this part where she's kind of trying to convince the hard-boiled detective she's the femme fatale and she's trying to convince the detective to take on the case and prove that her husband is innocent and she's walking away in this slinky red dress and um the the detective says something like you're you're a bad girl aren't you and she turns around she says i'm not bad i was just drawn this way and like walks away (laughs) and it's like this it's kind of this laugh line but it's also like that's how i feel miranda's character is in this game is she's like i was just made this way and i have to like constantly deal with the fact that i was genetically engineered to be hot and stuff like that so people are always going to see me and assume things about me because i was made to be this quote-unquote perfect specimen and so uh ken and i also talked a lot about like how these loyalty missions set up that a lot a lot of the times they're dealing with parental expectations and they're trying to be their own person separate from the legacy that's been handed to them and for miranda i think that's trying to define who she is not who she was engineered to be and not quote unquote what she was drawn to be uh so that's how i got there from a to b (laughs) for the record that was a really good analogy i tried i actually really liked it uh who framed roger rabbit wonderful movie highly recommend everyone watches it but yeah Um, i i agree i think I think that's why it hits me a lot, um, her character and her loyalty mission, just because she... So when I wrote my essay about her, I I touched on the fact that Miranda's kind of representative of what it means to be a woman in society. Mm-hmm. We have these expectations placed upon mm-hmm. us. Um, you know, you have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. You have to be this arbitrary definition of perfection Mm -hmm. that doesn't really exist and so for Miranda obviously it doesn't exist because it's impossible for perfection to actually be defined in a concrete way but she still like she still has this deep insecurity of wanting to aspire to be perfect even though she doesn't know what that really means and I think for her when she realizes her flaws when she realizes that she made a mistake in trusting Nakat um, when she realizes the ways in which she um, is unable to fit that mold that her father tried to push her into, um, I think it's really hard for her. And I think it is equally hard for women in society when we realize that there's no way that we can be perfect because perfection doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Is there an extra layer of like analogy here in and the fact that Miranda's not only like trying to get away from her dad, who's like putting these expectations on her, but that she's also trying to protect her sister from it as well, while also not trying to let her sister know that like this is what's happening and this is what's going on. She wants her to just be able to live her own life separate from all this. 
I don't know. This, this this is just me like going super galaxy yeah. brain here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, possibly she is trying to escape from this patriarchal mm-hmm. figure that is representative of everything that tends to oppress women in society. This like very successful, rich man of status that has imposed his expectations upon her expectations that she can't possibly fulfill and i think i think maybe for her oriana is also really important not just because she's family but also because she is i'm pretty sure she is the only significant female figure in her life she had her father and she had niket but in terms of women it's really only been oriana because she doesn't have a mother and maybe Shepard, if you play a female Shepard, and down the line you form a really wonderful friendship with her. But Oriana is pretty much the only significant um, woman in her life, and I think I think there definitely might be something about gender there, and finding solace and comfort in a fellow woman, especially someone who's her family. Mm-hmm. Especially as someone who, uh, Miranda, she struggles with motherhood. Yeah, yeah. um, Because she can't give birth, and that's something that she really wants to do, and I think that also plays a part into why she cares so much about Oriana, because she knows she will never be able to have children of her own, and I think she she finds herself a bit of, in this position of, of mother role when it comes to Oriana, and that's really important to her. It's kind of a shame, I think, because you mentioned that the, the stuff about um, her or not be able to to have a child. I can't remember if that was mentioned in any of my Mass Effect two dialogue. I mean, I know that is like a no, part of her it's story. Mass Effect three. Oh, actually, no way. I think it's yes. Think it's you, in Mass Effect two in the Shadow Broker. Yeah, it's in Shadow DLC. Broker. Okay. Yeah, they're like you those... read her like messages yeah. or like her emails or something mm. like that. Yeah. Okay. And they mentioned the fact that she. I think she goes in for testing or something like that, and she's told that she can't have children. I, th- I think that's a bummer that that's so difficult to it's access, buried, that that stuff know? is kind of, like, buried. And and I feel like yeah. that's something we keep stumbling across on this podcast, is that, like, a lot of the more visible um, writing in this game can get kind of annoying to groanworthy. I mean, we literally just had our episode about Jacob, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then you have to go digging for the stuff that's actually really, really good, and, you know, and it's even... It's in DLC, so that's, like, an extra layer of having to dig through and find something. Yeah, games games seem to be having that problem for a while now. I think... I think Kenneth mentioned it in in the Into Into the Spine Discord server about how, like... Anthem has some interesting threads of stories, but they're all kind of locked away in really optional mm. conversations that you might not even ever get to really mm-hmm. explore or figure mm-hmm. out or find out where they are. And they're just kind of muddled in there. It almost seems like a Bioware problem at this point. Like they're just trying to figure out, they've always kind of been trying to figure out what's the best way that we can tell the story that we want to tell and how, how do we format it like how do we present it you know what is the most crucial critical thing that we need a player to see and and i understand that that's like a concern that you have to shepherd a player from point a to point b that they do have to have a path that they follow to complete the game but then how do you determine what's secondary what's tertiary what's you know hidden away in an email somewhere and the choices that are made there are maybe a little bit more telling just because it's like 
I, I don't listeners who may get mad about this and tweet at me angrily i like my mentions so i'm going to give this the largest of caveats i do not think this is what bioware did i'm not assuming this is what they did but maybe something that's a little bit more incendiary or controversial might be better tucked away in an email on the shadow broker ship in a dlc than mm. in a dialogue that you would experience in say a priority mission i would say just sorry to jump in there but um i would say specifically with the miranda's infertility there's sort of the way that they present it they don't really have an opportunity to necessarily fuck it up because mm-hmm. all it is is like i think it's just like a doctor's email to her if i remember yes. correctly yeah so yes. like we can throw whatever context we want onto that, but they don't necessarily... Like, it's kind of like they leave it out of their hands to where they can't have this sort of mishandling, of, like a controversial mishandling about it. Um, yes. I, I mean, to to offer, I guess, a, a counter-argument or a counter-point of view, um, mm-hmm. I do think this is a very difficult thing for Miranda as a character, mm. like thinking of her mm. and, and empathizing with her. I think this is something that you don't you know we all have things that we even with our best friends like it takes us perhaps several years to reveal something to them not because we don't trust them but Mm. because we just don't see an opportunity for us to just be like hey yeah i have this like really deep secret or like this thing that i deal with and have been dealing with for years so i think to offer perhaps a counterpoint maybe because it's so hard for Miranda to talk about this to the point that she has to email a doctor. She doesn't, Mm. perhaps she never actually went to physically like see the doctor many times, maybe just once. Um, But this is something that has to be difficult for her. And I don't, I don't see her openly talking about it. It's tucked away in an email. It's something that she probably looked at once and she decided to just, pretend that it wasn't there or just put it in the back of her mind mm-hmm. because she has shit to do and and there's so i think perhaps maybe that that might be like a narrative explanation mm-hmm. for that and there's an element to to consider that because it is like a private thing like you mentioned and this is like the shadow broker we're like there's a voyeuristic element to this we are peeping oh, into her emails and you bring up that those are things that would normally take like a long time for somebody to disclose but when you come into these games, I mean, we, we opened up the show talking about how, you know, you get really attached to these characters and you develop a level of friendship and intimacy with them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why a lot of people come to Bioware games is they want that um, intimacy with their companions. They want to be able to talk to people and learn their backstories and hear all their awesome stuff. But then Absolutely. there is like a seedier side to that of like, oh, this gets a little creepy this you know we're basically like oh you've been on my ship for a week tell me your darkest secrets i want them all and yeah (laughs) and i was that's just not how people work exactly and i was thinking about this recently too with uh the new uh fire emblem is coming out soon and they they had that big trailer and stuff on the on the direct and i was sitting there i was like yes a new fire emblem that game where i get to force everybody to fall in love with each other while i ship them between all each other and stuff like that i'm like (laughs) Boy, if you ever like really examine the way these mechanics work, it's really creepy in a way. But it's it's also why we come to these games, and so I maybe it is right to kind of put that in a place where you would have to go looking for it because that that reflects 
you know like how close it is to that character's heart that they don't even want to tell you in a like dialogue or something like that they don't want to inform you in a conversation choice it's something you would have to seek out and really look and dig and find and then maybe you feel a little bit a little guilty yeah. about doing that you know so yeah absolutely so, like i know that i felt guilty when i saw that like it, yeah just this wave of like oh when i saw that because it's First of all, it's something that I'm pretty sure she wouldn't show anyone else. Mm. It's her private emails. But her emails, <laughs> uh, she wouldn't actually show them to anyone. Um, and also just like the content itself. <laughs> but her emails. But the content itself is is just really dejecting. Um, you know, some women are okay with not having children or like they're able to have children, but they just don't want to and I think there's yeah there's no right answer just whatever answer each individual woman chooses but it's very clear that Miranda wants to have children um and I think Oriana really represents what she can't have and that's why it's she's so precious to her that's why her loyalty mission isn't even it's not even really about Miranda it's about Oriana and even going into Mass Effect 3 her storyline is about Oriana Mm. it's not about her and I think people tend to miss how selfless Miranda actually is. They just kind of see what's on the outside, but they don't actually think about the fact that her loyalty mission isn't actually really hers. It's it's her sister's, and I think it's pretty beautiful. Awesome. Sure, and, I th- and I think, just to like quickly jump off that and then bring you back to everything, compared to Jacob, who we talked about in the last episode, it's sort of a similar thing where it's not really about Jacob, it's about somebody else. At the very least, Miranda's, like, role in it feels more meaningful after the fact to her. Because we talked about how, like, nothing changes for Jacob after his little mission. Whereas Miranda, even though it is, you know, it's about Oriana, it's just, like, her relationship to her, Miranda leaves that mission changed. Which I think is really important. Absolutely. I, I just really love her quote when she says, My father hurt me, but he didn't break me. Mm-hmm. I think her vocalizing that. I think may, perhaps made her really realize it until that moment. And I also really love when she says that it's not about what she wants, it's about what's right for Oriana. Mm-hmm. And I think that line just really encapsulates her character so much. And the fact that, um, you know, with Nakat, like when she ran away from her father, she gladly gave up material things, but she didn't give up a person. That was a lot harder for her to do. Um, and I just think... I think she's so selfless. I think she's so warm. I, I just, I, I have so many fuzzy feelings about Miranda. She's, she's the type of woman that I want to be. I think we're all, we all have moments of being naive, of naivete and ignorance, and moments in which we want the other person to perhaps be better than they turn out to be, and we want to believe in them even when we don't have a reason to. Um, and I think Miranda tries to cling on to that until the very end. I think. I think she would have forgiven Nikat, honestly, in the end. Like, I don't think she she would have held a grudge entirely. I think she's that kind of person. I don't know. Well, speaking she's of a complicated character. Speaking of yeah. Nikat, so what now did we everybody do, we need to do? Get to, yeah, we need to talk about that. Um, I personally stopped her from shooting Nikat. I, I was like, yeah, you're going to regret that. But Ken here, the the lovable rogue, <laughs> the scamp. <laughs> so Ken, I, would you like to uh, my, <laughs> talk about your decision? This my is literally thing. a regular podcast segment, by the way. Is Ken explain your actions? <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain your actions? Well, so 
sort of the same thing I did, like with letting Jacob kill or not Jacob letting Jack kill Oresh, uh letting Morden kill Malin it's like if I can't trust this person like if, if to not do what they've already done this awful thing again why leave that loose end because like it, he he has like the flimsiest logic as to why he wants to like take Oriana from her family as if like money and wealth is gonna be enough to make this well-adjusted woman who's like she's like 18 at this point I think Miranda said like she, she's like a, basically an adult at this point uh, why yeah. like if a person is like that sort of detached from the reality of the situation what, what's to stop them from doing it again and like he says that even uh, Miranda's dad paid him a shit ton of money and was like okay that's that's what it takes to like move your moral compass of basically mm. abducting a child yeah. So like that's just my thing. It's like I, I know like through the power of hindsight, I know that nothing happens to Oriana if Nikkei lives. But it's like, it's the principle of the matter. It's just like I don't trust that this person's not going to try to cause harm to this girl again. Well, I mean, even if you don't, if you don't shoot Nikkei, somebody else shoots Nikkei anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that dude's oh, what? dead no matter Niket what. Nikkei found dead in Miami. Uh-huh. Just, that's it. Yeah. Who um, the sorry? Yes, uh, in my yeah. in my playthrough at least, um, I don't know yeah, if there's yeah, a way yeah. to she prevent that as well. Okay, I don't. Th- cat's a dead bench, whether you choose it or not. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah, he he dies. No, it's one of those choices where they're like, we should probably close off the loop just to be safe. Uh, and Nikket yeah. eats it. Hey, look, you know he had yeah, a, the the, had the important part definitely doesn't lie in whether Nikket lives or dies. It's about how it shapes Miranda's character. That, yeah, that's my like because like after. After, if Miranda kills Niket and the elevator conversation after she's like not regretful that she did it but she's regretful that it had to happen and that she didn't see it like like we said the rest of this episode that like she didn't realize what was happening until this very point so like what's the yeah. what exactly is she like if she doesn't kill Niket she, she's basically like I'm glad I wasn't the one that pulled the trigger I would have like regretted that and it's it's kind of boilerplate for what you would expect, but it definitely like shapes Miranda as being like, I was I was naive, but I'm glad that I didn't have to lose that part of me. Um, right. Which is, yeah. Which is like good. like she had a moment of weakness, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it has to define her. Meanwhile, if she actually shoots him, I think as someone who is supposed to be perfect, who is literally engineered to be perfect, like she probably deals with that you know the the writing of the game doesn't go this deep but thinking of her as a character i imagine she beats herself up already when she makes a mistake or Mm -hmm. when she has a flaw that she gets reminded of and i imagine that if she shoots niket i think she would really beat herself up over it because she should have seen it coming because she shouldn't have done it in the end so many reasons why she would um, be herself up over it and I really relate to that as someone who doesn't allow themselves to fail often and when I do fail like a regular human being I'm like oh my god I should just like stop trying oh my god and I like freak out over it and beat myself up so but did you uh did you let Miranda or did you encourage no. Miranda to talk to Oriana uh, I I did I encouraged her to talk to her just to um just for her to have that closure, I think it was. I think it's something that she deserves mm-hmm. to just say like, "Hey, I'm I'm here and I still love and care about you." And I think Oriana deserves to know that Miranda is that type of person that she hasn't just forgotten about her. Um, 
And Miranda doesn't do it selfishly either. It's not like she talks to her and is like, come back with me, bitch. Like, leave them. <laughs> no, she's just like, she's very explicitly like, it's about what's right for her and what she wants. And I think that's so selfless of her, especially, like, to to go to talk to her and to have the strength to say, okay, now it's time for me to back away because it's the right thing to do. It's mm. not about what I want. Mm-hmm. I, as a, I, my cat just Hi, really loud. Yeah, I heard the cat. <laughs> <laughs> that is Poe. Your cat supports Miranda. He does. It's true. That's what Poe is saying is support Miranda. <laughs> let Miranda <laughs> talk to Oriana. <laughs> my thing was, like, as a person that did let her kill the cat, I was kind of like, I feel like if she doesn't talk to Oriana, like, whether the game kind of re- recognizes this or not, it's like, if she doesn't, like, she's already lost one person that was very important to her today, like, she needs to have some modicum of, like, ties to people, because, like, if she doesn't, like, if, if she doesn't have Oriana, who does she have at this point? Because she lost her best friend, she left everything that mm-hmm. she knew originally, I mean, she has Cerberus, but that's, you know, that's a dubious conversation to have another day. Very dubious. Yeah. But I just, like, she needs to have somebody else that, like, somebody to come back to after the suicide mission, and my, that's my viewing of it. Absolutely. That is something we talk about a lot, is that, like, the idea of these loyalty missions are so often set up as, like, I have to wrap up this one last thing before I could potentially die. And that's, like, the the theming behind all of it. And yet, so often it seems like, especially if you take the Paragon option, but even some of the Renegade options you're more kind of giving them something that they're going to want to live for after mm-hmm. the suicide mission, which That's very true. is maybe a little bit more telling about why if you do the loyalty missions, the character survives them and stuff like that. It's a little, huh. Oh, sh- oh Galaxy ah. Brain. <laughs> this is the insight. You come to Normandy FM4 uh, oh, yeah. along with cats that shout out Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> Your cat was uh. like, Miranda deserves right. <laughs> Miranda's the best. <laughs> Uh, Meanwhile, when Ken was talking about his decision to let her shoot the cat, silence. your cat dead silence. Uh, coincidence? I think not. Uh-uh. <laughs> Poe knows what's going down. Uh, so now that we're kind of the end of this, uh, I do just want to talk about Miranda's arc as a whole because, uh, and, and Ken notes it well here that uh, you talk about how Miranda's is one of the characters i think really one of the only characters that you can get all the way through all their dialogue options without having to romance them and like even touch it like yeah it's it's not even like it's a thing where they get to a point they're like so you want to like hang out commander and stuff and 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 no no i'm good i'm good well if you're (laughs) if you're female ship it does not give you that option and frankly it's a travesty but (laughs) we're not even gonna get into the travesty of Jack literally saying, I have slept with men and women. It, and just, I know. Oh, we did not talk about that uh, we last didn't. week, but we're so ready. We're just gearing up for the Jacob stuff that we just kind of, <laughs> yeah. But even, even now that I'm playing Mass Effect 3 and I'm having all these parts where Jack pops up and stuff like that, you get to hang out with her and stuff. It's like, wow, they really missed a really easy shot on this one. This could have been really simple, and they completely flubbed it. And, right? Mm. Like, you can't make her look that hot and have that <laughs> amazing of a character arc and have her say, I've slept with men and women and not let my woman shepherd ass romance her. Like, mm. like, like I mean, uh, 
I talk a lot of shit. I would still romance scariest because that's what I do. I replayed Dragon Age Inquisition five times and romance Solus every time. But we're gonna pretend that's not oh boy. the case. <laughs> I would have I would have totally romanced Jack at some point. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, <laughs> Well, we've we've talked before on this podcast multiple times. I think on this podcast because I'm I have always been a male Shep player, and the first time I played through, I was a total like self insert role player. I just played like I am I am me in this game, and the rest of the time I just kind of played like oh I'm going to play a character that's not that, but I'm still kind of going to make the similar choices, and maybe I'll just change what romances I do. But playing as female Shepherd for the first time for this podcast has opened my eyes to wow pickens are slim and Mm. diversity is at an (laughs) all-time low (laughs) and i I think we talked about the only um the only female female relationship that you can do in this game is the um is chambers right i i think that so there's no actual romance between two women in this game yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, well, also um, Samantha from Mass Effect Three, or are you talking? About oh, we're just talking about Mass, Mass Effect, Effect 2. Two. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, if, yeah. Trainers. If you expand that out, then you can. You have Trainer in Three, and you have Liara, who I'm still romancing, anyways, because Liara's so the best. So many options. Um. Yeah. We got three. we got a whole. I mean, three whole options. Two and a half, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, two, that's right. Two and a half. Um, yeah, it's and and then there's kind of some stuff with samara i believe or is that mm-hmm. is that yeah. still locked by male shep or can, can no, be other shepherd okay yeah. but yeah, they just kind of go it's like, like it's oh, like that it, it makes that other half like if chambers is two and a half and yeah samara makes it get to a three or or you what, just what is more that three and a half pick up more than minus two. <laughs> 3.25 maybe she is she is the definition of ride or die all right that is more okay. <laughs> <Literally, yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ride and die uh, so um but miranda i think and especially I, I bring up the fact that i have this newfound i i have had my woke conversion on the pie now it's um <laughs> that i just having this perspective helps a lot because now i think i like miranda's character a lot more than even when i romanced her as male shep because her being like this pal and and friend for Femshep and kind of this like constant, especially Mass Effect Three when they met back up when they reunited, I was like, oh wow, when you don't have like all these weird kind of like, oh, have you been seeing other people undertones to it and stuff like that? It's just like, hey pal, how's it going? You were awesome. I hope everything's well. Is Oriano? Right. Okay? It's like, wow, this is actually I care mm. about Miranda a lot right. more now, and this is a lot. <laughs> more interesting of an interaction when it's not just like laden with sexual undertones that are poorly written <laughs> right she, she's also my favorite um female friendship in the series mm-hmm. i tend to gravitate like i said i tend to gravitate to those characters so like dragon and inquisition pretty sure my favorite friendship along with cassandra because cassandra um is vivian and she's mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. the like cold bitch archetype that is actually really warm and wonderful when you get to know her and i'm always gonna think about miranda and female shepherd being like troubleshooting space divas (laughs) in the casino in the citadel and i i think you can tell in that dlc and that like little outing that you have with her just how much it means to her to have a female friend i mean i think she explicitly mentions it 
I mean, I have the memory of a grandma, so I'm actually not sure. I could be totally wrong. Um, but I think she actually does kind of touch on it, the fact that she's so happy to have this wonderful female friend in mm. Shepherd. You're just making me want to play Citadel even more now. Just I'm, skip everything uh, else and just go right to it. I'm, I'm getting closer. I For an update for podcast listeners, yes, I have been working my way through Mass Effect 3 again. Uh, I'm starting the Omega DLC. That's like, I just did the whole coup on the Citadel and all that. If, if you played the game, you know what I'm talking about. And um, now I am about to start Omega. So I'm getting closer and closer, but I still want to try and like slot Citadel at the right time. So I'm going to do it right before the end game stuff happens. That's the uh, right place just, to do it. Just to have that like right mm-hmm. framing and mindset and all that. But I'm, I'm sure that whenever I get to it, uh, if it coincides with a podcast date before, I mean, whenever it coincides with, I will mention it and I will probably be bawling because every time I've heard people talk about good DLC in games, Citadel is always the first thing that is mentioned. Oh God, it, it's it's still the best one. Like it's perfect. Burial at Sea for Bioshock Infinite was good. Trespasser for Inquisition mm. is amazing, but Citadel is just like it's it's magical. I I can't really describe it in any other way, but. Omega is really good. It has a hot female Turian, so uh, the first, I'm happy that you're the first one. I'm just looking forward to more of Arya because I always wanted more Arya in in this series. Uh, she is also hot. She's awesome. She's great. I clearly have a type. Women <laughs> 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 uh, who can kick my ass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the I'm the guy who's like, but I could bring Morinth on board. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Why does it have to be ride or die? Why can't it be both? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, um, just Natalie, why don't you close us off here on Miranda, just especially like coming out of Mass Effect 2, but just overall, like how, how do you feel about this this character um, and, and the way she kind of fits into the, the Bioware universe? And I, we've already talked about what she means to you, but just like yeah. contextualize her in, in all of Mass Effect. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> No pressure, he says, as he says, contextualize her in all of Mass Effect. Um, God, it, I, I think it, it lies in her being hard to contextualize just because there's so many layers to her character. And I think I think it's easy to dismiss those layers. I, I think that's a problem that people tend to have with Miranda, that they just assume that she is this one character that you see mm. on the surface. But she's really, I think a wonderful example like exemplification of when bioware writing is at its best which is when you think a character is one thing but they're actually so much more than what they seem on the outside or what they present like to you because that whole thing about feeling like a voyeur with her emails and her emails um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why i'm really looking at that um like that's not something that easily happens with video game characters like we're so i mean bioware games in and of themselves like you're you're looking over these codex entries like you're looking at letters you're looking at um you're hearing voicemails you're kind of like just a voyeur into this universe like you can't help it it's video game design Mm. you you loot bodies that you know are strangers bodies and you just do them without a problem and you there's there's always this voyeur element to this voyeuristic element to video games and how we um engage with them but the fact that the writing behind Miranda's character is so powerful 
and so layered that you feel bad like you notice mm-hmm. that you're being a voyeur in the first place and then you then feel bad about it on top of that is i think a testament to the layers of her character mm. um and i just i i love her so much i <laughs> i specifically just wanted to come on here to talk mm-hmm. about her because she is so i think she's so misunderstood and i think that happens so much with women who are assertive who don't take shit who know their worth um because those things they they have those things behind them but that doesn't also mean that miranda doesn't have moments when she doesn't know her worth when she you know she probably would have forgiven the cat if kenneth hadn't made her shoot i didn't make her do anything (laughs) (laughs) she was she she had she had a gun pointed and it was all on her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she she probably would have forgiven him after like a really long talk and and a certain amount of time like i fully believe she would have because she is that type of person who knows her worth but also just at the end of the day wants to be loved for who she is and seen for who she is and i think whether you engage in a romance with her or just have a really powerful platonic friendship with her i think I think that is what matters most to her, that someone finally saw her for her, saw her for her imperfections and her virtues and decided that, hey, you know, you're pretty great. You're pretty wonderful and your father doesn't deserve you and he might have hurt her, but he didn't break her and she's a lot stronger off because of all that she's gone through. So what you're saying is way more depth than Ashley Williams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's. Even though I spaces. did, um, I did save Ashley instead of. Well, we're gonna have to cut the podcast yeah, short. Welcome we're to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it for my uh, guest appearance on here. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Garris, Eric. Yeah, we got one more thing to talk about, and that's uh, Big Boy Garris over here, oh. the one, the only. Uh, so you gave us your talk on on Miranda. Now let me hear it about Garris. Oh my god, Garris. Okay, I just... With Garris, like, with male characters, I tend to be less, like, oh, they're so complex. They're so amazing and wonderful. <laughs> just like, no, like, with Garris, it's just, like, he is the best man in the entire galaxy. You know how, like, when people are like, I was born too late because I would have loved to be in, like, the 1920s and the Roaring Twenties, just, like, you know, chilling with Gatsby. Like, no, bitch. I was born too early. Like, Obama should have created the mass relays by now so that I could then use them to go to a Turian planet and find myself my own Garrus because I would absolutely, and as a bisexual person who has plenty of options, I would give up all men and all women who are humans for this one Turian. God and that is my that That is my talk. That is, that is mm-hmm. it. That's my TED talk. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Obama should have built the mass relay. Oh my god! Um, yeah, I mean, Healthcare, Garris, mass relays. Garrus is like the barometer for Mass Effect. I think he—he's he's literally so just—he's the constant. He is the pillar. He is the thing that. I mean, he's literally one of the few squad mates that is always in your crew throughout the entire game, and I—I I think he even beats out tally because you don't get tally until much later in mass effect yeah, no, 3 yeah you you are with him in the long run mm-hmm. and and I, I get there are like it doesn't work for everyone like i have one really close friend that like we're always butting heads because he does not like garris how like, he pushes this he yeah he, and he pushes like like the game pushes on this bromance mm-hmm. if you're a male shepherd and he's just like i do not give a fuck about this ugly terry and rah, rah, oh. but then he wow. sends me like 
he he sends me memes about Garrus like for my birthday he sent me like this meme of like a Garrus cake and oh. so it's really cute so it's like I, I I don't think he actually hates mm. Garrus I think it's so hard to dislike Garrus because he's just so wonderful like I said he's the best man in the universe and the galaxy and uh, <laughs> I really wish the mass relays would be built by now but we can all have what we want all that being said <laughs> yes, all that being said, I, I, I feel like Mass Effect 2 is like Garrus's weakest performance. Like, I agree. Yes. Mass Effect 3 is certainly his strongest, in mm. my opinion. Yeah. By far. Sure. But I would I would almost say that like 3 is where he really becomes the character that everybody remembers him for. Because, well, in 2 you have that great moment where if you didn't figure it out by that point already, you go into the Archangel's base and he's sitting there with his sniper rifle. He's like, Shepard, long time no see. And you're just like fuck garris got awesome but um, <laughs> garris is batman now um uh, but he kills yeah, people so <laughs> yeah um but maybe he's awesome because he's suddenly this darker mm. maybe someone's into it like this darker sexier <laughs> turian <laughs> version like it, it makes up for the fact that he just like gets his face shot like yeah he got his face shot but he has a darker side to him now so mm-hmm. like Mm, who knows? I, I like that uh, as you walk around uh, right after he gets his his face scarred in his recruit mission, you can hear people making jokes about, um, or this might even be Mass Effect 3, come to think of it, but uh, they make jokes about how Krogan females like scars and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That might have been I, 3 yeah, once you get I, Eve I think, on the ship. I think he makes it, right? Or like he makes jokes about like how women dig the scars, and mm-hmm. I'm like... You know, I don't, but I dig you, so it's okay, my love. It's okay. But this specific loyalty mission uh, did make me kind of go, huh, I, I, maybe I'm like, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm coloring my perspective of Garrus more for what he becomes or what he is in 3, whereas in 2, he is still kind of this guy who's trying to figure out whether he wants to be this vigilante that's running around just killing people or whether he wants to try and do things the right way and seek actual justice versus like free you know freelance justice basically he's a look garris is a freelancer just like the rest of us you know he's out there he's he's trying to get it done you know (laughs) who amongst us has not been on deadline and suppressed in a base across from only one viable escape route i mean come on um uh you do note it here, Ken, that they make really good use. I, I like that Mass Effect in general does this. They make good use of uh, bringing back really minor characters from old quests and stuff. So it's really fun that Harkin just shows yeah. up and you're like, Harkin? Who's... Oh. 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 Harkin. <laughs> this This asshole. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it gives you the opportunity to actually shoot Harkin, which is just great. Um, yeah. But... Wait. No, that... Yes, yes. Ken, help me out here. This is the part where I suddenly misremember how the how the missions go. This is the whole bit where you're you're running through the factory while Harkin's trying mm-hmm. to stop you, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Good. I was right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we finally go to you know we do. There's really not much to talk about there, is there? I mean, we you just shoot a bunch no, of like, X. The, this it, this is the part where the combat the starts to feel a little stale. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Mm. That, to talk about the loyalty missions is that they kind of stop using these like tricks to make the actual firefights more distinct from one another in the loyalty missions and I guess that's 
that's fine, mostly. It just is, like, it is more about the character moments, and that is, like, I mean, that's the part of Mass Effect that I prefer anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, a lot of the missions just kind of blend together in the way that, like, you get from point A to point B. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and they this is the one where they do the whole thing with the crates, where you can shoot the crates and it'll, like, blow up on people, but it never felt like it landed right, and I was always, like, mistiming it and stuff. And by the end of it, you're just like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to charge and shotgun everybody. That's, yeah, exactly. that's how I play this video <laughs> game. Um, but the big the big character moment here is definitely when you meet up with Sidonis and you have to make the decision whether to let Garrus take the shot or not. And I feel like that's the big defining moment here, but um, it's also kind of a weird moment because it feels like it's just giving you the chance to decide whether you want Garrus to be a good guy, or like good cop or bad cop, which is already what Mass Effect 1's arc was for him so there's a lot of retreading the same ground here which feels very very strange and so i want to hear what y'all think about this kenneth would you like to go first yeah just um, to confirm if you like allowed people to get shot this time i i did allow somebody (laughs) to get shot again um wow you really gave him some generous phrasing there allowed someone to get shot (laughs) out of the way of the sniper just an innocent bystander (laughs) oh man uh so my like when we were talking about Mass Effect One, I was sort of like egging Garrison to be the along the more renegade path that like I am because if I didn't do that, then I would be like a major hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I, I the whole mission feels like kind of a cap off of something that they it felt like they already kind of did in the first game, and it's not really affected by what you did in the first game either, which is one of the weird sort of missions for me because like. Say you did the like the really paragon path in Mass Effect One. He's basically the same guy in Mass Effect Two, regardless. Granted, like what happened with his crew and what Sedonis did, kind of. I mean, like that seems like it would shape him to be sort of the 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 Batman that he is, regardless. Um, but all, it 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 kind of just feels like a second chance for you to be different. And if like if you were the paragon before, maybe you're the renegade now, or vice versa. Um, I don't know, like, I, I enjoy it as sort of this isolated thing, but in the grander sense of Garrus' story, it just kind of feels like old hat. I agree. Yeah. Like, like you said, it, it feels like something that they tried to do in Mass Effect 1, but I guess they just didn't go deeper with, mm. and then with Mass Effect 2, they're like, well, the people wanted to bang the Turian, <laughs> so let's actually go back to that, but do it better this time. And yeah. I, I guess it's a nice way to wrap up his... Um, C-Sex storyline. He just kind of puts it all mm-hmm. entirely behind him in Mass Effect 2, but it really does. Like, I, I like the loyalty mission because I love Garrus, but not because right. I felt like it does particularly much for his character. Right. I, I guess it, it, it allows you to see his psyche a bit more and how it's been affected mm-hmm. um, because of his time as Archangel, but I, I think it would have made more sense and the stakes would have been higher if throughout the campaign he like he was noticeably darker than before but i mean he got shot and started joking about how women you know love scars so he's he's remains the same character pretty much and i think they could have executed that a lot better yeah i think some of the trouble with that comes from i i'm pretty sure with the exception of the dlc characters garris has the fewest conversations of anybody in this game Mm. And that yeah, was yeah. something I noted here. It was like the entire relationship with Gareth feels kind of stunted because not like the 
core of what his arc is in this game. It's basically the same as the first game, and he doesn't get much beyond that. So it kind of just feels like they have Garrus in this game to, like, just just have this character in this game. Because like, they didn't have another role for him, which is fine. Like, I'm, I'm glad to have Garrus with me all day, every day. But it's like, yeah. in general, his role just doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. And that does change a little bit with the romance, but I think Garrus' romance is one of the more... Um, like what we talked about in the last episode, where like it kind of feels like very much about like oh this mission we could all we could all die on this mission let's let's uh, just let's do that and like when it gets to Mass Effect three I think it you know evolves into something much more like, much more genuine but in like isolated sense Mass Effect 2's treatment of Garrus always comes off a little weird to me. Absolutely, I, I think it's very unfair. Like I specifically like I held out. I'm a loyal <laughs> bitch. Like I I. You know, like in Mass Effect, when I didn't romance anyone, Liara was like, you looked at me once, do you want to bang? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then Caden's like, well, you talked to me a few times, do you want to bang? And I'm like, no, I'm saving myself for the blue cockroach, please, <laughs> just leave me alone. And then I have to wait so long for girls to be like, uh, do you um, want to... Uh, Reach uh, flexibility or something? Reach and flexibility, do, do you want to... Yeah, sure. And then at the end, it's like... Well, we're all about to die. Let's do it. But I, I also think it's a little cute because it's like you've spent so much time with Garrus as friends that I think, I mean, I've never experienced this before, but I imagine like when you've been f- such close friends with someone for that amount of time, that transition from friendship to romance might, like it might require literally life or death. Well, I don't think that happens in the human world very much. <laughs> but in a sci-fi world, it requires little human like life or death situations to be like, hey, let's let's <laughs> test our uh, reach and flexibility. Why not? You're you're touching on something that I wanted to bring up. Actually, that I've been thinking about while we've been talking about. We talk a lot about like the explicit writing of of a character, and when I think of Garrus, you know, the the big moments I think of are obviously like. I'm I'm Garrus and this is my favorite spot on the Citadel and all all that stuff like the <laughs> the moments that everybody you just quote like one line everyone's like oh god Garrus but I think a lot about just how every time I play a mission in this game Garrus is always there like I always want to bring him along like hearing his voice on the comms he's just like making a comment on something over there or he's we're in the middle of a firefight and he's like get down <laughs> and um <laughs> But he's like this this constant. It's almost like this this buddy cop sort of thing where um, it, it feels kind of reassuring to have this character who's always on your side, who's always going to be by your side because there's so many other rotating characters that you're getting used to. Maybe you like this one, maybe you don't, but you can always pick Garrus. Garrus is the rock. He is there. And Absolutely. that can... Like like Kenneth mentioned, you know, that can be bad in some situations because, like, oh, we just put Garrus in there because you got to have Garrus. But in another way, like, yes, I always it, give me the option to have Garrus and I will take it. And, and right, like, I'm a hole for Garrus. It's fine. Just whatever. Uh-huh. And, and when you roll into that final mission in three and you're like, I got to take some people with me that I know I can ride or die with. Here comes Garrus. He's already got a sniper rifle out. And, like, I think that is maybe the best thing that Mass Effect does. Uh, Mass Effect 2 does is just really cements Garrus as like this is the person that Shepard can rely on the most on the Normandy this is probably I mean even among I mean maybe Joker is the closest person that could come to like a constant yeah. in this game but um, and, and I also you think you can't it's, take him out for your party so it's yeah. a little different and it's fascinating that it's 
a Turian who you get set up very early on, like we talked about in the first episode of this podcast, that they do a lot to set up the fact that humans and Turians were at war not that long ago, and they all still hate each other. And so it's really cool that a Turian squad mate becomes basically your second in command. And the honestly probably one of the most memorable characters from this series. Um, Oh, for sure. (sighs) I mean, I'm biased, but... No, yeah, I agree. And I think I think it's interesting that the way in which the game gets you attached to Garrus is not through his character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's through everyone else. Like mm-hmm. that is dependent on everyone else because it's that it's playing off of the fact that you're surrounded by all these new people that you don't know and you're mm-hmm. shepherd and you just basically died. Um and there's so many things that have changed in the time that you've been away. Um that this one constant feels so special and that Mm. you just want to... That's your anchor. And I think it's interesting that the game doesn't push it on you in the sense that it does it through his character interactions, but it does it through your interactions with everyone else. Like, everyone else is great, except Jacob. But... (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else is great, but, you know, there's there's nothing like having that friend that has been with you from the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the best thing we can say about an otherwise kind of middling Garrus sequence in Mass Effect 2. We're going to have to get you on for Mass Effect 3, Natalie, because <laughs> then we can just have a whole episode dedicated to Garrus. Oh, we just oh God. Talk Y'all all gonna things Y'all going to hear Garrus. me just, like, start crying about the fucking, like, meet me at the bar line. Like, <gasps> when that happened, oh, I just, mm, y'all don't even want to know how much I ugly sobbed. Like, I was so... Oh. Yo, we're not like, even gonna get into it. We're gonna have like a cry counter throughout <laughs> next season, just because like <laughs> it's so much. It's I've, too much. It's so, so everything happens so much. I, I <laughs> might break a little because I have noticed that as I've gotten older, my once cold heart has become warmer, and now things that I do not expect to get emotional about, I am suddenly getting emotional about with much greater frequency. The Samara loyalty mission is coming up pretty soon here. And oh, that, that one so fucked me up a doozy. So, oh, um, Samara's just so good. Yeah. I, fun fact, I, we've already talked about this on the podcast, but I will reiterate it here. Um, I did not like Samara for the mini playthroughs I did before this. I don't know what it is about playing it now at this point in my life through this lens, but now Samara's Poe's, one of my favorite characters uh, in this game. Poe's intellectualism has rubbed off on you. Uh-huh. Like all the meows that you've been hearing throughout the podcast, I think they've slowly been seeping into your brain and just yeah. making you go from normal brain to galaxy brain. And now you can actually appreciate the goddess that is, the literal goddess that is <laughs> Samara. You might Close not be eye. wrong. You like, might not be wrong that having eye. an idiot for a son has literally. Uh, melted my otherwise cold heart. I like that as you got older, it seems like Kenneth gets colder. Like, mm-hmm. he's just like, <laughs> yeah, I just let her shoot in a cat. I just let she, everybody she die. It's fine. She did it anyway. It's fine. Oh, Ken, I did, I did a renegade action in a recent Mass Effect 3 mission I played. Oh, my. I, that I did not do in any other playthrough, but this time I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Udina can can uh take it hey. <laughs> oh yeah fuck Udina. yeah <sighs> i trusted that man um that's gonna <laughs> Miranda about in the cut. that's gonna do it for today wait wait oh wait. we gotta do wait. our our guest uh rapid fire question for natalie 
Ooh. Romance fiction. All right. Okay. Ready? Ready? Oh, yes. I remember right. these now. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. we already know you're Romance Garros. So we can skip that one. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Start over again? Wait, 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 wait. Just, just, ro- okay. just roll them off. Don't worry about what we've already answered. Just roll them off. Okay. All right. Okay. Mass Effect 2 Romance. Garrus. Did you lose anybody on the suicide mission? No. Nice. What did you do with the, the, the collector base? Uh, I destroyed it, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I, yes. No. Wait, no. I, I, I have the memory of a grandma. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I think I destroyed it. Okay. I think okay. I destroyed it. All right. There we go. That was... Okay. Oh, I thought we had more than that. I don't know why. I thought... No, it was the set three. I completely forgot that oh. we had those. Oh, I was like all geared up for the next one. I was I like, my memory will be better for this next one. I know. There's only, there's only three. Yeah. we. I, I do want to say something that I didn't touch up on mm-hmm. with uh, Garrus's mission. Like that really famous quote of like, it's so much easier to see the world in black and white. Gray, I don't know what to do with oh. gray. Like for, for oh, some yeah. reason, it makes yeah. me laugh. It actually makes me laugh because... Um, one day, like, I'll try not to be specific just in case they would hear this podcast, but, like, this one dude uh, that I talked to, not, like, talk, talk, but, like, like I was just talking to him one day in real life. Like, he was, like, he was basically one of those, like, philosophy liberal dudes that's, like, you know, the world is so much harder when you're enlightened. Oh, my gosh. You just, so he hasn't had a lot of hardships. <laughs> <laughs> When you see everything and you see the grays in life and when you look at both sides and see that <coughs> both sides have points and merits, it's hard when Oof. you're enlightened. And so whenever Gareth says that, I just imagine him with a fedora sitting in oh, like no. a philosophy class. <laughs> the day that Turians and humans and all the other races are integrated after Obama builds the mass relays. Mm. Like, just him sitting in a philosophy class with a fedora being like, so much easier to see the world in black and white. He's he's raising his hand to, to ask the teacher, but he's not really going to ask like a question. He just wants yeah, to say something. Yeah. But I, I love him. He's so good. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about Garrus because oh. he is a good boy. We're going to need to do it again once we figure out what our schedule is for Mass Effect 3. We're going to have to find a way to, to get you back on here. Also, Ken will probably Absolutely. want you back on here because, as I understand it, you are an Andromeda supporter. I am... I, I will I will stand up for Andromeda. I, I will. I think I will. Like I Hell it definitely did yeah. not deserve the hate that it got. It Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And it's not because they let me romance a female Turian, although that was a very nice side benefit. <laughs> Ooh, Vetra Vetra's my favorite from that game. For, for. <sighs> so good. <sighs> it's well. it's two to one here, but if you want to force me to endure the ordeal that is Mass Effect Andromeda, you can head on over to patreon.com slash normdfm where you can exactly. support our Patreon and if we reach a certain goal, I'll have to play Mass Effect Andromeda again. Do it. I have it not can played. only go well. Either either he'll support Andromeda with us and we'll convince you about why it's not that bad, actually, or you'll make him suffer through it. Mm-hmm. Either or. Win. It'll be yeah. entertaining podcast material. <laughs> <laughs> and either way it'll be good content but that'll do for this week um natalie thank you so much for coming on uh it was it was thank a you so pleasure much for having, having me and allowing me to word vomit about my favorites mm-hmm. i will always be thankful for that <laughs> we we're happy to have guests next week uh tentatively right now we have another guest lined up that will be one cassidy moser of ign fame she'll be coming on i believe she's talking about she's awesome um Oh, I had it written down, and then I don't know where I wrote it down. Can help me out here. She is talking about Samara and Samara. 
Oh, wow. Of course she would. An intellectual with good opinions and great choices. Just look out for that one. She's great. I'm glad, I we, endorse have, this. I'm glad we have Cass on for the time when I get really emotional about Samara's loyalty mission. Really <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but for all of us here at Normandy FM, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.